Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. How is everybody doing? Thank you so much for always tuning in. Thank you for just hanging out with me, tolerating all of my nuances. I appreciate all of y'all so much. Keep sharing, keep downloading, keep subscribing. It is a good thing. Today, I have another guest with me, a beautiful... So how about that? We're going to start with that. Her name is Zakira. She is going to be joining us because she wants to share her story of overcoming. I'm just going to put it that way. We met on, a, I guess, a co-podcast group on Facebook. Y'all know there are all kinds of communities and tribes these days. But anyway, we were on, we are on the same podcast group. And she said something about her podcast. I'm like, wait, I need to be on your podcast. And she was like, yeah, and I need to be on your podcast. And so, you know what? Fast forward, here we are.com. I've been a guest on hers and she's paying back a favor. She loves music. So she's going to touch on music. The name of her podcast is Aptly Living Legacy. And you know, I am one, so I had to be on it. So Miss Zakira, without any further ado, thank you so much. Welcome to Suicide Pages. Thanks for writing on our pages today. How are you doing, ma'am? I am. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that intro. So I am good. I am thankful. You know, I'm thankful to be here and thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. So we're going to be talking about anything and everything. And you know what? She warned me. She said she's one of those people who would like to start with the good. And if I ask her, do you want to start with the good or the bad? She's going to be like, I want to start with the bad. So you know what, Miss Ma'am? Offload, unload, whatever the word is on us, we're all ears. Where do you want to start? Oh, let's start with, I guess, where it all started, right? So first of all, I am a... Uh, cancer survivor. I am a brand cultivating strategist. I am a world traveler. So I've traveled to a few countries, but I also have lived in a few different cities. So I was born in South Florida. And then my dad is from East Tennessee. So we were also kind of back and forth between East Tennessee as well. And I then after graduating high school, I took my adult life, my young adult life, to the D.C. area, and now I'm kind of back in Tennessee, but this time in middle Tennessee, uh, living with my husband, and this is how I ended up getting 
I guess it's just about a dream job of working at the Grand Ole Opry part-time. So that is a, a country music venue. So I am surrounded by music. So my husband did not understand why I love going to work so much, but it's because I truly love music that much. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. As you know, many people, and I am one of the people on the other side, on your side, but many people do not find any kind of fulfillment or even purpose in their work that they do. And I call it work, even though I don't call it work personally for me, but I have to call it work because they call it work and it becomes a burden. Like, I'm just going to go because I want to pay the bills. This is not the right reason to work, but you know what? I digress. But I'm a, I'm so happy and so proud of the fact that you seem to have found peace and found a purpose with in, in music, of course, but also working around what you love. I mean, that is the best thing in the world, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Definitely a blessing that I randomly found the job on Facebook after I had been, you know, driving around as an Uber and Lyft driver for probably three months before I found that job and it was just perfect, perfect timing. And even though I drive like 30 minutes and 30 miles to and from the job, like it's exactly what you say, I love it that much. The environment is, is not toxic. The um, uh, benefits are great, you know, it's just everything's worth it. So of course there's also uh, the need for rejuvenating my own creative juices. So that's why I still love, you know, having my podcast on the side and any other side hustles. And of course, any chance I do get to travel to a new place. That's amazing. And you're talking to someone who also is an Uber and Lyft driver. I know they haven't seen me this year because I had to graduate from my MBA school and I have my doctor job to do. But I'm probably, I thought I was like one person that drove Uber as a doctor. And then I went on Twitter and I'm like, all these doctors are like, well, I drive Uber too. I'm like, what? Um, so, hey, you know, we have a huge community. Also, I had a, a part-time job that I drove an hour or more one way in the past, in my recent past. So we seem to have a lot more in common than, than we probably even, even knew. But yes, and I, I love what I do so much. I was working with kids. So, you know, I was, I was like, I'm going to drive. The money was good. I was like, I'm going to do it. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And I just love what I do. And I can tell from your voice, too, that you love what you do. And it is a good thing because in this time of burnout, burnout this, burnout that, we need to be able to do what we love so we, you know, protect ourselves from burning out, right? Absolutely, because the burnout is real. Burnout it is real. Is, I don't want to go there again. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect tweet. Burnout is real. And that's it. Wow. So where do you want to start? Where, where did, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to start with the cancer? Do you want to start with, you know, your teen years? I mean, I'm all ears. Hmm. I think um, maybe we can start. I'm just thinking also, maybe we can start from, from the beginning. So since I am a cancer survivor, I wear many, many hats, right? So being a cancer survivor in itself is a battle. And then if you throw in all the invisible uh, disabilities that people see, people don't see, <laughs> then of course that adds in all the um, easy misunderstandings, miscommunications, and even the struggle to simply uh, maintain the authenticity of, you know, being yourself. Because, yeah, I think a lot of, there's a lot of mental health that needs to be focused on, especially with uh, those who have my type of cancer, which is a rare childhood eye cancer called retinoblastoma. Mm. And so that, um, you know, I was blessed to still, you know, believe it or not, 
Um, I have one eye, one seeing eye right now. So not many people know that. All they can see is that I have a lazy eye. So if it is one of those days where my eye is just doing what it wants to do, they're like, oh, let's look at the girl with the lazy eye. So that was always the, the bullying joke, you know, in school. And then throw in that even though you may not see it or notice it or even knew it, but I do also wear hearing aids in both ears. And um, just even my mom's a good researcher, so she's been researching knows, uh, the history, at least, as far as how that came about. But it was a part of the radiation from the um, cancer. And so, yeah, and then, of course, to even, you know, my the doctor told my mother that there could be other you know, things happening later on in life. And that also throws in polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is also an invisible but autoimmune, you know, disorder. So that doesn't really come into more of a forefront of in the picture once I got married about five years ago. Of course, you know, we do not have children as of yet, but it's definitely something I see in my future. I love kids. I love my nieces and nephews. And I am, you know, one of the auntie auntie mamas <laughs> to a lot of the young kids. So yeah, mental health is is, is definitely a never ending struggle. At least I could definitely say for me. Wow, that's amazing. There's so much to unpack there. I did notice the eye, um, obviously because I'm a pediatrician. I actually know which eye is lazy, by the way, or which eye is 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 a fake eye. Just by looking at you, I know which one it is. But um, I I noticed that the first time, and I was like, okay. I mean, it, it didn't. It's it, not that it bothers me, but I can see how growing up in America, specifically, how the kids are so mean. Especially, I used to think it was just like you know middle school and up, but even in elementary school now, we have a couple of suicides in elementary school kids, and it all stems from non-stop bullying. So I, I know, or at least I can imagine, how hard that could have been growing up for you um, in a country where there's so much placed on frou-frou stuff that doesn't even really mean anything, but they just pick on you, pick on you, and pick on you some more. So I can totally see how that could, um, and, and you just, it's bad enough that you're already picking on yourself, you know, as far as like, oh, I'm not this and I'm not that. And then we, you don't need any help from the outside world, but then the outside world comes and nails the final, puts the final nails on the coffin, so to say, on, on just, just beating you up and making you feel so inadequate. So I'm so happy and proud of you and thankful, actually, that you've been able to find your voice, so to say, with podcasting and, of course, with music and being able to help other people, other people that way. So was it um, just severe depression? Because talking about the, um, the retinoblastoma on its own, oh, my God, I had a patient that I diagnosed at the age of five. Um, but even I missed it the first couple of times. It was the, the grandmother that kept insisting that there's something going on with the eye. And eventually I sent them back. I lived in South Carolina at that time. I sent them back to MUSC, and that was when the diagnosis was made. But luckily for us, it wasn't too late or anything. But I missed it, so it's 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 one of those things that I you know I live with. Of course, as a physician, you always live with the things I I could have, would have, should have done differently. So, where do you wanna? Um, how was your childhood? Let me put it this: way. How was your childhood growing up, being um, having had cancer? That is such a powerful thing. How was your childhood? 
I think I will honestly say I did not realize that the word survivor, I think I, I kind of blogged about this maybe a couple of years ago, but I did not realize that the word survivor is actually a positive thing. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, I did have a good support system. My mom was definitely a good support system. Um, uh, and especially the very hand that I counted on one hand friends that I did have from childhood that understood or even if they didn't understand, their, mo- their parents explained it to them. And so my childhood was pretty good. You know, I was able, I was blessed to go back to the area where I went to middle school. And I was also blessed to go back to my high school. And so I really realized that, you know, I had a pretty good childhood. At least, you know, I lived in a decent and pretty safe neighborhood. And I was involved in a lot of great activities. So for the most part, I was a very, I was a survivor, I would say that. So I was definitely thriving because there was nothing, my mom uh, enforced into me that there's nothing that I cannot do. And I appreciate her for that. So mm-hmm. despite me being a Renaissance woman as of today, of course there were moments where I know I can do everything, but then say teachers would not see the same thing. The mm-hmm. only thing they see are the notes <laughs> from, mm-hmm the individual education plan or mm. whatever the principal says, of, okay, mm. watch out for this good medical needs, you know, mm. so they focus on that. And as a result, they kind of doubt the intellectual ability. And yes. so, but for the most part, I feel like now that I reflect back, the most difficult times of childhood came when it came for school. So uh, my, most of my traumatic experiences came from school, uh, between the teachers, between the bullying of the students. And then, hey, once I got older and hormones uh, were thrown in, then came, you know, boys were a factor too. Of they like you, but they don't like you, but, you know, all of that stuff. So for the most part, I definitely think I had a de- pretty decent childhood because I had so many fun activities and so many great fun memories, especially uh, thankful to my parents and my family members and my close friends. Thank God. And I'm going to take this part out of the podcast, but your voice is coming in and out. I'm not sure why. It kind of waxes and wanes. It gets yeah. loud and then it goes it's down. It's not like an audio microphone. So when yeah, I move. I don't know, but it goes and I'm out delete this part of course but it's coming in and then it goes out and then it comes in and goes out and i'm okay. that but i mean i'll go back and try to adjust the wavelength but just i just want you to know in case there's something okay thank you yeah i just adjusted the microphone to hopefully so, yeah so we're going to continue um now okay so gosh your most difficult parts of your childhood came from school let me take that for a second that phrase because i usually look for some catchphrases from from my guests. Believe it or not, believe it or not, eight out of ten kids who called the national suicide, who text the national suicide text line, complain about school. They mention school in their text messages. So this brings it home, right? That a lot of drama goes on in school. There's so much insensitivity, so much bullying and blaming and it some of them in all fairness is ignorance on the part of the kids and also just not as much resilience in our kids now so much so that you feel so bad of yourself that you want to take it out on someone else because people who are hurting other people generally is because they're hurting and they're not getting any help for it what do you think about that 
I agree. Um, I saw a quote somewhere. I don't remember where I first saw it, but I saw something about, you know, most kids bully other kids because they have nothing better to do because they have not been able to get attention, the attention that they need from home, from their family. Their love languages are not being spoken. So yes, once I got older and realized that, like, okay, it's nothing wrong with me. No, they're not bullying me because I do have X, Y, Z. There's nothing wrong with me. It's because mm-hmm. of the reflection of whatever they see in me that, you know, is triggering within them. So, yeah, I, I do think that technology, it can be your friend. It can be your enemy at the same oh, yeah. time. So yeah. it's, it's made bullying worse, but it's also kind of sort of made parenting a little easier, but at the same time, neglect the basic of most kids do, I mean why do parents have to literally have their ch- children on their own for the first year of their life they have to depend on their parents and then of course there's a phases where they think they're independent but I feel like we all need to get back to get back to that get back to having that love and if their love language is physical touch getting back to being touched on a regular basis not touched when you're being um, chastised <laughs> you know or if, even if you know, their love language is words of affirmation. So I think for me, my love language was words of affirmation. And my mom fulfilled that growing up. So even when I was um, not the best child, at least there were still words of affirmation that came around the corner, you know, positive words of affirmation. So, yeah, I do think it, ha- it has a lot to do with the lifestyle of the child outside of school. Because when you go to school, that's where you spend most of your time. <laughs> so that's like, you know, your second home. So, yeah. Wow. That is so powerful coming from someone who is not a parent yet. So that tells us what an effective mama auntie you are. Indeed, the quote that I saw, one of my guests on my podcast actually told me was, hurt people who don't get heard hurt other people. Uh And that's essentially what she's saying. They're not getting their needs met. They're not having their love languages spoken. And um, my my parenting, your teen communication course is actually based on parents knowing their children's love languages. Um, I have three boys and each son is completely different love language wise. And you have to meet them at their point of need. And I love the fact that you said (laughs) if the love language is touched, then you don't want to only touch them when they've done something wrong, i.e. paddle them or beat them up. So that's, that's amazing. I got that. That was, you you try to slide that in, but I got it. I got that. That's good. It's wonderful. And so growing up as a cancer survivor and then, um, gosh, with the diagnosis of polycystic, I know what polycystic ovarian syndrome is because I'm a doctor, but gosh, I can only imagine how hard that could be. Do you want to maybe in your own words, tell the guests, because you brought it up, um, what, what that is and, and maybe bring us from your childhood into adulthood, kind of like transition that in for us. And then, of course, men should talk about the polycystic ovaries. Well, I think um, my real transition from childhood to adulthood would definitely say once puberty hit. Because then for me, um, my voice got deeper. <laughs> you know, my boobs got bigger, my voice got deeper. So... I feel like I also matured a bit faster uh, mentally and emotionally too. So I feel like those are the experience, the next phase that we could talk about is actually middle school. 
So I'm thinking right now that I don't think I've told anyone that's outside of my nerve to that how special you are. Oh, it was a um, there was one. It was kind of difficult because middle school was great. That was the one school that I was able to be at for all three years because we moved around so much to stay near a good doctor. Um, so middle school was the only school that I stayed at, and I was not the new new girl. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed middle school. So sixth grade, everybody loved me. Seventh grade, everybody loved me. Eighth grade, it's like our hormones hit, and we're like sick of each other. <laughs> so um, I don't remember all the exact questions, but all I know is I did have my three or four girlfriends that you know we the, the show girlfriends was on at that time, um, founded by Mayor Blocker Kill, and we literally gave each other the character name. So I was Joan. But anyway, so we were in physical education class. So that was my favorite class because I got to see them. Now, for whatever reason, there was probably just so much going on. Again, I became a teenager as I aged. You know, things have changed with my family dynamic and everything else. But I remember just having very serious suicidal thoughts. But it got to the point where the only thing that I really said out loud was I was asking my girlfriend if it was downtime, maybe like a intermediate recess, maybe or something during physical educa- education class. And I was like, so how would you feel if you didn't see me tomorrow? Like if I was just not on it tomorrow. And so that was really like an aha moment for them. They were like, what are you talking about? We love you so much. Like, why, why do you do that? So, I mean, I never, I remember, because I'm just a private person like that. I remember never fully telling them what was going on, but I do remember breaking down crime because, again, my love language is being spoken. Um, so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I think it'll be okay. I think, you know, people do love me, <laughs> you know, even though there may be moments where it doesn't feel like that. So there was just that moment in middle school. Maybe that's probably what it was. This simple neglect, but only because, Everybody got their own thing going on. Um, and everybody also was just simply doing their job. Because I know I had so many teachers between, of course, my standard education teacher. But then, of course, then I also had a speech therapist. And then I also had, um, by the time I was in a summer camp to learn more about being around other hard of hearing and visually impaired students, just in mm-hmm. case something were to happen to me. Maybe this mm-hmm. is the time I also just discovered that. Um, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, so I got my menstrual cycle for the very first few times, but then it, it was never regular. So then, of course, I didn't feel like I was regular. So there probably so much going on, um, in my mind at that time. And I'm just like, so what if I just don't deal with any of this ever again? So that was the first time that I really had suicidal thoughts. But I think maybe now we can kind of jump jump over to high school. Um, where I was a new girl again. I think, I think, it's, <laughs> so, I think it's a good idea. I, I like it. I think we're not going, I don't want to belittle it. I'm, uh-huh. jumping over it. I'm definitely not belittling the fact that you were, I don't know, age between 12 and 15 and dealing with major, major life challenges that mm-hmm. most of us today might not be able to handle. Visually, being visually impaired is bad enough. Being a, a teenage girl being visually impaired, going through hormonal changes, wait, discovering that you you also have polycystic ovarian syndrome, and then, oh, wait a minute, you're also hearing impaired. I mean, it is a lot. I don't want to under, I don't want anybody to think that is a small thing, and therefore, 
I don't want to hurry up and skip it in the sense that, mm-hmm. oh, it is something that people deal with. And, and one of the things I discovered as, as a podcaster is the fact that this message, people find me. Someone walked up to me on Saturday and said, ma'am, are you Dr. Lula? I'm like, yeah, she said, I listen to your podcast. I've never met any of my listeners except my family, of course, because I make them listen. But it was so touching. She was like, oh my God, your podcast is amazing. Like I'm actually talking real talk. This is what I want people to hear, that it is a challenge to be visually impaired. It is a challenge to be visually impaired and hearing impaired. It is a challenge to be visually impaired hearing impaired, being a cancer survivor, and have hormonal problems. It is not a joke. I want people to leave my podcast empowered with compassion for other people who are not like them, and then tell their kids to listen to the podcast. (laughs) But really, because it's a lot that you went through. It's a lot. So let's not underestimate it. I think if you stopped the interview today, you've already touched hearts just by coming to terms with the difficulty of being married for five years and having no kids is not a joke. If you go into the marriage not planning to have kids, then okay. But if you go into the marriage with the same dreams and vision like everybody else, come on. And let's throw in speech therapy and whatever else you were dealing with. It's not a joke. So I want to thank you again for sharing that. I can't remember the exact quote, but it said you need to share your story because Something about one day, somebody will hear your story and then you will be there something, I don't know. Yeah, be inspired, you know. Yeah. That you're the, yeah, one, you're the one to spark the change. <laughs> yes, yeah. And that's what I, you know why it's funny you said that because I always say, I'll light the spark, I'll start the conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about that, which no one wants to talk about, like suicidal ideation. I went through that. I was suicidal. As a doctor, as a mother, as a wife, I was suicidal. It's, it's, it was, it was temporary, but it was a long time. It wasn't like one day. It was a long, it was months of being suicidal. I had to come to terms with that so that when I start speaking about it, it's authentic. It's coming from a place of, I know what I'm talking about. It's not just, just a random, I don't quit my job as a pediatrician to speak about suicide just to be doing it. It's because I know what it was like and I don't want anybody else to walk that walk. So thank you for sharing. I don't even, what? Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, you know, it, it's still um, an everyday struggle even today. I am, I'm, a hundred, I'm better. I would say I'm 90, 98% better, but there's not a day that goes by where I do wonder <laughs> what mm-hmm. it, you know. But of course, you know, I'm just focused on living my life now that I've realized my purpose, which does include inspiring others with you know, the challenges that I've made it through. So Amen to that. Amen to that. Wow. So I don't even know what to say. That's amazing. That was just well put. So now that you are in a I mean, are we done with high school, middle school? Are we done? You wanna Oh that was just middle school. We didn't even Oh that was just middle school. <laughs> you know what I got a whole hour, baby. You're you're okay. mine for the next hour. So let's go. Okay. Let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about high school. Yeah, so that's so going on to high school. Um, so this was eighth grade, and then started ninth and tenth grade when I was the new new girl again. So I started at a high school, and the high school itself was great. I had a few of my friends from middle school, so I had a sense of familiarity. Um, and then I was the new girl again because sophomore year we decided. Well, it was both. My mom kind of let me 
to my education system in a way. So in a way, I missed the beaches because we were always going to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I was born, but at this time it was in Tampa, Florida. So I loved just being home. Every time we got to go for my doctors, I really enjoyed being there. So my mom kind of let me choose my education program. And so this is where I really got into uh, the photography program. So funny enough, ironically enough, it was a photograph that my mother took that basically saved my life. I mean, she too had to go to more than one pediatrician in order to actually get the diagnosis. But if it wasn't for that photograph that she kept taking around to every doctor, every friend, um, I would not be talking to you right now. So anyways, I, um, you know, discovered my voice through photographing. So I really, really wanted to go into the photography program at my new high school. So I enjoyed that the most. But of course came the difficulties of being the new girl. Everybody already had their cliques. Everybody already had their friends, especially if they also transitioned from middle school to high school with these people. So I too was the odd one out, um, which was a little difficult. And so at one point, it was my sophomore year, maybe spring break. Uh, there was just so much going on. I was not driving yet, but I clearly remember I probably was just either being super duper stubborn, which I'm not always, or I was just being giving my mom the biggest talent treatment ever. Whatever it was, she was like, what do you need? <laughs> what is going on? What do you need? So a mother knows, right? Mm-hmm. And so basically I just said, I have um, a sister on my dad's side and we've spent some summer together. So all I said is, I want to be with my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she made it happen. We, she flew me up from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to Atlanta, Georgia. My sister was down and we did all the girly things we could do. Mm-hmm. And I would recharge, you know, I felt better. And I'm like, you know what? I do feel loved again. You know, yeah. I may not be getting any at school, but I just got it and I'm recharged. So that, if it wasn't for my mom, maybe kind of knowing, cause I probably wouldn't have said it. You know, that's just the thing about me that I also had to get over. Like if something's really bothering me, I gotta speak up. I gotta say it because it will bottle up and I will explode or who knows, I may, uh, 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 not so, uh, you know, easy decision would have been made, you know? So that's your high school. I love it. I love it. I am in love with the fact that number one, you are also fully in the know of yourself. Not many people can say that. Not many high schoolers can say that. I went to an all girls high school. It was a boarding school in Nigeria. I don't know that I was necessarily fully in the know until I got to med school. I don't even know when I came to like know who I, well, yeah, maybe after med school, I was like, okay, I want to go to America for my residency. My dad was like, uh, who do you know over there? I was like, I don't know. I just want to go. But the point I'm trying to make is it took me longer. But I'm so proud of the fact that you came into that knowledge of yourself early enough. Again, another you know, thing to, to check off, which you were able to pull off, which many kids who probably had two eyes and two ears couldn't do. We don't know. So I'm very, very happy. I keep going back to saying that it's not an easy thing that you've achieved. It is very, very noteworthy. It's a good thing that you've been able to do all of that and yes photography a lot of my patients who are diagnosed with a lot of patients period who are diagnosed with um retinoblastoma it is a picture that makes a difference because of the reflex the cat eye reflex that they see in the picture so that is a good great thing that your mother did for you so you want to tell us a little bit of 
how your photography class and all of that, because you do you do stuff with photography right now, even as an yeah, adult, right? And that's actually what I do at my Grand Ole Opry job. And of course I do it on the side too, when I'm not podcasting. But yeah, so photography was the most exciting uh, part of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, just even to this day, holding a camera or capturing the personality of a human being uh, lights up my own soul. So photographing is like the way for me to use my voice in many ways that I may not have, you know, growing up, especially when it comes to expressing feelings. And I guess the same thing also applies to music. So ironically, it was, I was finally coming into one. I may not have had the lunch buddies that most people like to have during school, but at the same time, I kept myself busy. I founded a chapter of a service organization called Key Club. I founded a chapter. And those were my people. You know, they were mature. They wanted to serve. They, they loved people as well. And, and what is the club called, sir, ma'am? Key, Key Club. K-E-Y? K-E-Y Club. K-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had nothing to do with making keys, but it's the key to life of saving I love people, it. Basically. You know, how I ended up explaining it to people who had no idea what it was. But I had no idea what it was. I'm good. <laughs> As a doctor, I ask questions, so I'm totally fine. I'm not going to leave a place without knowing something. You can be sure of that. If I don't know what it is, I'm going to ask. So I'm glad that you're able to um, explain that. Key Club. Wow, that's cool. It's cool. Yep. So between being of service with uh, being a class president and then also having my photography technical program, I was on a roll. I was pretty good. Things were, you know, looking up. Um, and then, yeah, I think things were pretty good. Of course, once you become a senior in high school, it's difficult all over again anyways. I think the only difficulties I had was that was the time I really had to begin to advocating for myself as far as the education choices for afterwards, you know, because there was the pressure of, for my school, at least, they were in kind of the top category as far as who gets acceptance rates into colleges. Mm-hmm. Adamant about that. Now, for me, school was rough. Twelve years was rough. I was not planning on continuing to go to school. You were done. I was. <laughs> I, like I was so done. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, it. whenever any of my guidance counselors would ask, "Which college did we apply to today? Which college did we look at today?" I handed about, you know, maybe five, a few of them. Um, I applied, but I didn't have that hope inside of me, like, this is what I want to do. Honestly, I didn't figure that out until after I returned from not my first, not my second, but my third international trip. Um, from, but this one was the first time stepping onto Motherland. This is when I went to Ghana. So oh, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I came back from that experience. So I was all for, even my mom, she's telling me over and over, of course, now that I'm older and she's able to tell me that she's like, honestly, I didn't see past 18. Oh. One, because the doctor did not know how long you would live. Exactly. Two, because 18, you're an adult. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So even, even then, I mean, she would say, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, I really don't know. So it wasn't until I was about about to be 19 years old when I decided I, well, I was 
able to attend a National Geographic workshop. Again, anything that has to do with photography, a camera, lights up my soul, I was like, I am going. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was fun. <laughs> I, I love it. About being a December baby, too. I'm just, when I want to go, I want to go. Never stopping that. <laughs> That's amazing. So amazing. that was um, the National Geographic workshop. And ironically, I was staying with my uncle. Um, and while I was kind of cruising around town, just I, when it wasn't workshop time, I took, you know, the public transportation, which was the train. And I believe either it was an ad on a train or in a brochure on a newspaper or something. I saw something about an open house for an art school. It just drew me in that I told my uncle, because my uncle was like, okay, just let me know where you're going. You know, just keep me up, keep me up to date on your whereabouts. I'm like, I think I'm going to do this. And so I went to the open house and I, fell in love with the school. And even then my mom was like, okay, let's do it. Let's figure out how we're going to do it, but let's do it. So, cause she's like, I can tell this is what you want to do. And uh, we'll make it happen. So it was just a matter of getting it all together. The logistics of moving to a new state and how am I going to take care of myself? What am I going to do about my medical stuff? Um, so the good thing about that move is that it was more planned out than, at least for me, but seeing it now, now that I'm older and I'm able to reflect back and learn other things from my parents, of course, my mom just would handle stuff and it would be done. But now that I got older and I had to um, kind of do it on my own, it was, I felt like it was more planned out and I could see the logistics of, you know, how I really had to kind of plan moves. So that was just, that's when I would say things were really kind of looking up. But then, I guess we're no, moving on to as soon as I hit age, well, 19, 20, and 21 moved fast for me. I'll say that again. So they moved pretty fast for me. So the only difficulties were the difficulties of, once again, learning to advocate for myself, um, being confident enough to speak up for myself because by this time I didn't have an individualized education plan mm. so that people know that I required, you know, being seating close to the front. That way I can read the teacher's lips um, and also be able to see the boards and old presentations or the videos and all that. So I had to literally advocate for myself. And then of course, navigating a new season. I've, I've, have lived in Florida majority of my life. I lived in Tennessee, a small fraction of my childhood. So I had to get used to winters. Oh boy. And that brought in the new thing of seasonal depression. I had no idea what that was. Oh my goodness. You don't even know what. Mm. Preach sister. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, seasonal depression came where, where the sun's not there. It's, it feels like the light is gone too. Um, so I had to get used to that. Of if I'm, if I'm not, if I did not leave the house that day, especially once I finished school, if I did not leave the house that day, it I would, I, I would be become so more in tune to myself that I would know like, okay, I'm not so happy today. I'm not so hungry today. Um, you know, I, something's going on. I didn't send my mom a message today. And even funny enough, even through text message, she just knew that it was just one of those days. But yeah, then came seasonal depression. Well, that was the first time I literally, I think it took a whole, no, literally a whole season, a whole winter. I, I did not want to photograph. My mom 
jokingly called me a lazy photographer because if I had my cell phone on me, that when cell phone photography was just coming out, if I saw a pretty sunset or a sunrise, I would take a photo on my phone, but my camera would just be collecting dust. I would just could not touch it for the whole winter. Wow. Um, and I think if I had my timeline right around that time is when I also um ended up finding my husband. Oh yay. <laughs> wow. So, That's amazing. Now that was a blessing in disguise also, but it was also a challenge in disguise because Mm. I am marrying someone who is perfectly healthy and has no idea about how uh, to operate with a person who doesn't hear so well and may not see so well. And then also who may not give you your child so immediately. <laughs> wow. You know what? Even if you stop there for just one second, just to unpack that, you have a memoir that is a bestseller in your head. I advise you to just start writing right now because. Well, maybe, maybe we can have it as an announcement toward the end because I am actually writing a book. Exactly. Well, there you go. And we're going to talk about that at the end, of course. But I do want to just because and I said that only because I wanted to bring everything to to the surface. It looks like you. I can safely say you have not ever really cut a break, you know, when you were young, you had this sickness to deal with. And I know about retinoplastoma. Okay, I know everything about it. And then, of course, you go through middle school. You're suffering with that. You go through high school, but you are the little engine, little little engine that cooled because you keep coming and coming and coming back, and and you're almost always able to find the crack of light when you need to find it to sustain you for the next phase of your life. You put that so well, marrying someone who is perfectly healthy, and I say that again because we assume that everybody else is perfectly healthy. You don't know what they're dealing with. But, you know, of course, because for you, physical health is is what you're referring to. But indeed, I can see someone who's physically healthy, but mentally, as you know, or emotionally, not even there at all. So I want to say I want to thank the universe for sending your husband to you because that is, a, that is not a, an easy challenge. Every, everything you listed, including having a baby and not being able to have it right away. It takes a lot of, it takes a big man. Tell him I said it takes a huge man. And I, I know he understands what I mean by huge man to understand that in his woman. And then she's still being, being able to, to live every day and give glory to God, Allah, in your case, for every single day, um, just living the best of it. The things you mentioned today, I haven't had many people older than you mention it and being able to come around and still land on their two seats. So again, don't rush through these things because you yeah. are great. I'm so proud of you. Like for real, everything you say, it's just, it's a testament. It's a testament. It's a major testament. So yeah. Thank you. Yes, just keep going. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think the, it was definitely a blessing in disguise and in a way it was a prayer answered. Um, I remember this memory. Now, my mother says I was a daddy's girl, but ironically, I've mentioned my mom so much this time because she's literally been that vessel, but my dad is 
according to my mom, I am just like him. <laughs> so <laughs> the whole thing of me, I guess I nicknamed myself the bounce back queen. I must have gotten it from the bounce back king. <laughs> that's good. And you know what? It's amazing. That's what we, that's what parents are, you know, a little bit of me and a little bit of him. And then we got you. And then, you know, you, you, you find, this is my mother. This is all my mother. And then, oh, this is all my father or whatever. And then, you know, I did fight with it or not. And I was actually going to ask you if you're the only child because I was like, she hasn't said anything about siblings or a father. So yeah, you're right. You did. You heard my thought process with that one. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, I was the um, miracle baby between my mom and my dad. Um, I'm the only one between my mom and my dad. But my mom has expressed that she wanted to have one more child, but I have a huge age gap between my other siblings. <laughs> so I'm the only child, but not the only child. So mm. that was another one of my things that I had to wrap myself Did around. With, yes. With the sibling love. I see mm-hmm. all my friends with sibling love, or even the sibling fight. I want that too. <laughs> I know. Oh, wow. This is amazing. What an, what an amazing story. What an amazing journey. I definitely... I see you. I hear you. I, I know you in my heart. I also love photography. As a matter of fact, you go around my house and see, I do take semi-pro pictures. But um, yeah, that's good. That's good. I have a, an Icon D60. It's not anything fancy, but it's mine. And I only photograph trees. So I don't like to do persons. I like to do still life. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. So we have come to the part of the... Um, Unless, of course, you want to go into your husband and you a little bit, but we've come to the part of what is your favorite quote? Do you have a favorite podcast? Hint, hint. Do you have a favorite book that you read? Um, Then also, do you have any words of advice for the listeners? And then lastly, where can the listeners find you? I think I would love to mention books. Those are also the things that if I was not listening to music, if I was not traveling, I was always reading. So the book that I think that really helped me also through those tough times were any one of the Chicken Soup for Soul series. Those books Ah. were literally feeding my soul growing up. Um, Now, as far as books now, um, there is this one book that I... I'm reading right now, and she she's actually a deafblind attorney, and her name is Haven Gurma, H A B E N G I R M A, and she literally is um, sharing her story also of being uh, deaf and blind. Is what we call it. Even if you're not fully deaf or if you're not fully blind, it's still one word, and that's what it's called. So deafblind. So I'm really enjoying her sharing her story because she's originally from. Um, she like half of her side is from Eritrea and the other half from Ethiopia because of you know the war that's yeah 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 parents are from you know that side those are one of the most beautiful people on earth and I said that and I don't care what anybody else says whether you're Eritrean or whether you're Ethiopian or even Somalian Mm -hmm. I have never seen beautiful people until I see these people I behold them I don't care where they're going I don't look at them I behold them and I just thank God that I could see them and appreciate them and their beauty and this, the uniqueness of their, their facial features, their nose, their hair, and this, oh my God, those are some beautiful people on this earth. Yeah, so. I agree. Yeah, I, I can agree. imagine who this person is. She must be very beautiful herself. Yeah. And then I get podcasts. Um, there is a podcast um, 
No, I'm just thinking, I think it's kind of explicit. It's an adult podcast, but it's called Silent to Shame. And it's founded by music industry veteran Shanti Das. I've had the pleasure of meeting her. Um, but it's a mental health podcast. Mm. So um, I feel like it's more for young adults. But anyone also struggling with mental health. So that's one of my favorite podcasts. And then, of course, there's mine. <laughs> I have well, you it. know the funny thing, though? She's actually going to be on my podcast. Wonderful. Yes. Okay. I didn't even know she had a podcast. I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm no, one of the what, top fans of her Facebook page because, yeah. of us, because of the work that I do. But, yeah, I, I, you're probably my second person, no, third person that we've kind of been on each other's podcasts. But um, maybe second or third, but she's going to be one of them. She's going to be one of the people that have been on my podcast. And I'm also going to be on her podcast. Now that I know that she has one, is on. <laughs> yes, yes. And then, um, yeah, so of course, there's mine, my podcast, the Living yes. Legacy Podcast. And the slogan that I have for that is, Woman of Purpose and Stories of Resilience. So that's, that's the way that I've kind of narrated down, you know, uh, if I'm not sharing my story, um, that's kind of what I ended up repurposing the podcast to be. Originally, it was just going to shine a positive light on, you know, negative industries such as the music industry, such as the creative industry. But then I'm like, I realized not many people know me, know my story. So let me kind of talk about that and then also find people who vibrate on the same vibration. So that's um, Living Legacy podcast everywhere. And then I also just recently started the uh, Instagram handle for it, which is at Living Legacy Podcast. So you said woman of purpose sharing her story. Is that what you said? Yeah, sharing stories of resilience. Okay, stories of resilience. Okay. You know what? When I came on your podcast, I don't think I talked about my resilience. So maybe I need to come back. Okay, hint, hint. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm trying to think back. I feel like you did. I don't know. Yeah, I thought I was talking about. We just have to wait for everybody to hear it. But yeah, I was I talking. I know, right? For real. I was talking about suicide, and you know, of course, that's major. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if I went into my own personal story, and you know, this is one of the reasons I'm writing my memoir because I have been so over, not whelmed, but over yeah, known now by the suicide voice, which is fine because on Facebook I call myself a suicide activist, but. I also feel like most people don't really know like of what I've been through, which I don't identify that much with that anymore because all of that happened for me. I saw that I heard that on a podcast. The lady yeah. said, it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, for me to be where I am. And, but I think uh, my memoir is going to help shine some light in that because. Yeah. You've yeah. talked about it briefly. So we don't know everything, but I know if they want to know everything, they got to ask you on your podcast. For That's your podcast. right. That's right. I definitely got the piece of you. So yes, thank you, yes, thank you. of course. And, and um, so final um, parting words or, I don't know, words of advice for parents specifically who, which you touched on that a, a, a little bit already. And then of course, children who find themselves suffering with one disability or the other or a difficult diagnosis or the other. Do you have any words for those people and by the way when i want to put my own word for your mother word to your mom tell her that i said i appreciate her for all the work that she put in in you i know it wasn't easy but i appreciate her me and a lot of other mothers appreciate her for that but you are owing us some words of advice and some 
parting words and you know encouragement i feel like the only one that's coming forth right now is is to keep going because it may seem difficult it may feel difficult it may feel like you're being pulled in a direction think of the alice in wonderland movie feeling like you're falling down this deep 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 tunnel you may never come out but you actually will <laughs> um it may not be when you hope it may not be as soon as you hope but you will come out of the tunnel of difficulty of darkness you know whatever it is you're going through whatever the environment you are in it's on everything temporary everything temporary so keep going amen everything is temporary especially suicidal ideation just coming back to that i know for me the period when i was actively suicidal it's gone now but i still living out again i'm like i don't know when i'm faced with challenges but the bottom line is what i tell people is when you're getting there get out of the space be it in your head be it in the physical environment get out and 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 you realize that even that too is temporary and before you know it you're feeling better again um the world needs you the world needs everybody really you know we've lost enough good great people we 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 definitely don't need to lose anymore so gosh zakira thank you so much for 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 doing this i hope i hope you are as happy as i am because this was so good this was so good Maybe good, definitely fulfilling for me. <laughs> awesome! Say. It's always good to talk about difficulties because then you 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 take out that life from it and just you know give it into the universe and be done with it. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, gosh, do you have anything else to add, or are we pretty much done here? I think we're good to go. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Lulu, aka the Momatrician. This is Suicide Pages, the podcast. Y'all, you heard her. She came here. She did not leave any door closed. Talked about a childhood of trauma, I might add, because having cancer, I'm going through chemotherapy, radiation, and all that good stuff is not an easy thing. Surviving that, standing on her two feet, elementary school, middle school, the teasing, the taunting, all of that mess that goes on in yours and my kids' lives in middle school. She, she survived. She was the little engine that kept coming back. And in high school, brought its own special challenges, adulthood, marriage, just living with a disability and yet not looking at it as something that will stop her. If there's a, a shining light and a beacon of example, it is this chica here, Ms. Zakira Denver. She came in here and she gave it to us. So y'all, I hope you learned something. I hope you are changed and you're touched by, by, by this angel, if I may borrow that, that phrase, because um, that's what she is. So until next time, this is Dr. Lulu. I'm going to tell you guys to stay strong, stay positive, and keep going is what she said we should do. Keep going. So keep sharing this podcast, keep spreading the word, and I'll see you all on the flip side. I am Dr. Lulu signing out. <laughs>